Well, you guys know that I'm a bit of a foodie, so it won't come as any surprise to you that my favorite TV channel is the Food Network. My favorite show on Netflix is a show called Somebody Feed Phil. I actually recommend it. It's pretty good. And my guess is that you might have a, a famous celebrity chef that's your favorite. I don't know if you do, but I do. Mine is none other than the unbeatable Bobby Flay. He's the king of the grill. He's the king of the Southwest flavors that are bold. And he is also known for being an iron chef. Now, I want you to imagine this. What if Bobby Flay became your resident in home, living with you, everyday cook? How amazing would that be? You come in at the end of a long day after a hard day of work, and the biggest choice that you have to make is, do I want the bone-in prime ribeye with the ancho chili sauce and the pesto garlic mashed potatoes as well as the roasted corn soup? Or is it really just going to be more of a, a Bobby's Burger kind of night? Because, you know, sometimes you just want a good, greasy burger. But we're not talking about just any old burger. We're talking about a Bobby Flay burger that's got the, the queso sauce and the caramelized onions, the applewood smoked bacon, and it's served with double-dipped buttermilk fried onion rings that are served with a scratch-made ranch dipping sauce. Because, hey, after all, my in-home personal chef is the one and only Bobby Flay. I mean, that would be life-changing, truly life-changing. But maybe you hear that and you think, you know what, Randy, I'm not like you. I'm not a foodie. This life-changing life -changing inhabitant in my home wouldn't necessarily be a chef. So let's consider what other things might work for you. Maybe it would be something like Mr. Clean. That would be the one that my, my, my wife would want. Mr. Clean to come in and just spotlessly prepare the house and clean every corner, every nook and every cranny, room to room, wall to wall. Maybe you go, no, that's not it. So maybe somebody like Joanna Gaines that would come in and JoJo would do the decorating for your house for any occasion, for every occasion, for every event, for every holiday. It's prepared just right in a way that's so visually appealing. Or maybe it's something like uh, someone like LeBron James. Like, man, if LeBron lived at my house and I could just come home from school and say, hey, LeBron, uh, let's go out and shoot some hoops just for fun. Or maybe you could do me a clinic and, and teach me how to improve my jump shot. Or maybe it's your favorite musical artist and they would be there for you. If you wanted to have friends over and put together your own in-home concert, you could do that anytime that you want. Or maybe you would just have them in the corner of the room at the end of a long day and they'd play you some lullabies to sing you to sleep. The reality is any of those would be ultimately pretty life-changing and, and really pretty helpful. And I, I want you to think about it. I mean, maybe you really could use some help around your house. And you think about things specifically like cooking and cleaning or maybe having a tutor for the kids. And you think, man, that kind of in-home help would change my life. For me and at my house, the biggest help we could use, man, is a chauffeur. If we had somebody to help us get these three busy kids from place to place, that would be incredible. But the bottom line is we all have different kinds of help that we really could use even in our daily lives. And I think our minds go to those kind of tangible kinds of things that we need help with. But I really want to think about the reality that the most life-changing kinds of things that would be helpful would be if we had people that could actually help us with what's going on internal to us. Not so much the things outside of us, those tangible things, but the internal things. Man, that's really where the life-changing kinds of things would happen. And this morning, as we continue our journey with Jesus in the Gospel of John, Jesus' message is going to be about an inhabitant. 
a resident that will come and live with you and inhabit your life in a wildly life-altering way. And the reality is life with this resident, new life with this resident, will look so much different than your old life without him. So let's go to the scriptures and see who this resident is as we continue our journey with Jesus. We're going to be in John chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. Let me give you a little bit of background before we jump back into John and into chapter 14, where we've been after these many months and weeks. We're at the point that Jesus' death on the cross is imminent and his uh, departure from earth is impending. So this is a really changing, critical point in Jesus' journey with his disciples. And what he's doing before his arrest that will lead to his death is he's got his disciples huddled up in the upper room of a, a place and he's doing kind of like a locker room speech with them. He's giving them some final departing words to prepare them for what is to come. And that's where we pick up in John 14, 15. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples in these final words. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. There's a couple of different phrases here that I want to draw your attention to in these first three verses. It talks about this helper, this advocate, this person that Jesus is sending that will be with you forever, with you. But it goes on to say, will be in you, like residing inside of you. And the person that Jesus is speaking about here is the third person of the Holy Trinity. The Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I love this moment in John 14 because you get to see all three persons of the Trinity at the same time. Jesus says the Father is going to send the Spirit. You have Jesus the Son speaking these promises and these truths, and you have the promised advocate that is coming that is the Spirit of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit becomes this resident that will occupy Jesus' followers. And what happens here is that Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a person. He uses words to describe him as him and he, these personal words to say this is who the Spirit is. And that's important for us to key in on. Because what we see in that is that the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within us, he's not some impersonal force like what you would see in Star Wars or some ethereal energy that you would think about in some kind of Eastern religion that talks about emptying yourself so that you can experience this energy. No, no, this is being filled with the Holy Spirit of God who is one of the persons of the Trinity. He is eternal. He is co-equal with God the Father and God the Son, and he is a divine person. And what Jesus is promising here in John 14 is that if you're a follower of Christ, then you will have the presence of God's Holy Spirit dwelling within you, that he makes his home inside of you. So then the promised spirit of truth is the ultimate resident. There is no one else like this. And the reality is our new life with him residing inside of us is going to look very, very different than our old life without him. And the difference is his presence. His presence makes all the difference in our lives. First Corinthians 6, later in the New Testament, describes some more things about the Spirit of God. And it begins with a question. It says, do you not know? Now, this is being written to Christ followers, to the Corinthian church. And so it's saying to Christians, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? We're going to talk about temples in just a minute. But then you hear some language that's very similar to what Jesus is saying in John 14. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? 
Just like Jesus said, he is residing inside of us, whom you have received from God, this gift that God the Father sends. You are not your own. Your bodies were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Do you not know that you're a temple of the Spirit, that you no longer own yourself because you have given yourself completely to Christ? You have been bought with a price, which was Jesus' very own life. And what you see here in 1 Corinthians 6 is that he owns the house. He's not just the resident. He's the homeowner, Christ follower. Here's the point. You belong to God. Every part of you, all about you, spirit, physical, mental, emotional, all of who you are belongs to Christ. And when we step over the line of faith and we surrender ourselves to Jesus, he doesn't just become the the savior of our life that delivers us in forgiveness from our sins and into freedom. He also becomes the Lord of our lives. We make him master. He's the one calling the shots. He's the boss. He's the one that's in charge. And so when you look back to 1 Corinthians 6 and you, you look at this word temple, what you see is that we're being transformed and made into a temple when we come to Christ. When we surrender our lives to Jesus and we step over the line of faith, part of that transformation is he makes us a temple where the Holy Spirit will dwell. And to really understand what temple is about, you have to go back into the Old Testament of the Bible. This is one of the reasons why the Old Testament is so very important because the things that the New Testament says, man, they don't make sense without the Old Testament Context And the temple in the Old Testament is very, very, very crucial, very special because it's the place where God would dwell as a blessing among the people. Over and over and over again, God made different provisions for him to dwell among the people as this grace gift to experience his presence and the blessing of being with God. Before the temple existed, there was the tabernacle. And before the tabernacle, you have the Ark of the Covenant. And then other phases where there's the tent of meeting. But over and over again, you see these opportunities where God has created space for him to dwell among the people and ultimately in the provision of the temple. And so when 1 Corinthians 6, this new covenant passage in the New Testament speaks of what Jesus is doing and what has been done and the people becoming the temple, you see that God is doing a new thing in this new covenant because the temple is no longer a building. The temple is people, persons, the church, the bride of Christ. It's not buildings, sanctuaries, cathedrals, or worship centers like this. It's the people of God where the Spirit dwells. So Christ follower, you are God's home. And that sounds crazy, and hopefully that sounds wildly humbling. It may even sound hard to understand. You know what? That's true. It is complicated, and it is a lot for us to to wrap our minds around. But after all, we cannot overlook what Jesus said in John 14. Jesus said the world cannot accept this truth because it doesn't accept him. It doesn't know him. And therefore, it will not accept this truth. But Christ follower, you can. You can wrap your mind around this reality. You can begin to grow and understand this promise from Christ. And church, the reality is this. We need to grow in our understanding of the truth, of the spirit of truth. We need to grow in our relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. We need to grow in our our understanding of this ultimate resident who lives inside of us. And maybe it's this 1 Corinthians 6 kind of question where you just simply are asked, do you not know? Like, do you not know? Do you not understand? Are you not aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life as a gift of grace? And if you are aware and if you're becoming aware, then 1 Corinthians 6 tells us the man that we live accordingly 
It's speaking specifically there about sexual immorality in the context of that verse, but you really could, could take this awareness and put a therefore with it, not just on other things that we, we don't do as we live out a Christian ethic, but other things that we do because of the presence of the Spirit of God in us. And so we want to get to know this ultimate resident who is dwelling in us and ultimately how our new life with him is going to be so radically different than our old life without him because of his presence in our life. And what Jesus does in John 14 is, man, he helps us to do that. He helps us to get to know and to understand the spirit, not just what the spirit does, not just who the spirit is, but also what the spirit does. So let's go back to John 14, 16. Jesus says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And there's two words there that I want you to underline in your Bible or highlight in your notes. It's the two word phrase, another advocate. And I really want to go deep on these words, another advocate, what they mean. And to do that, we need to look beyond the English and go back to the Greek that was the original language that John was written in. We have an English translation that says another advocate, but the original Greek words were this, alas parakletos, alas parakletos. Alas is where we get this word another, and paraklete is where we get this word advocate. But let's start with the first one, alas meaning another. To help you understand what this word means, uh, I'll give you an illustration, an example, and, you know, it'd probably be best to give you an example built around food. Imagine you're at Baskin-Robbins eating ice cream, and you taste this flavor, and you say, you know what, I don't really like this flavor. Could I have another? Right? They got 31 flavors. What you're saying is, I don't like this one. I would like to try one of the other 30. So when you say, I want another, you're talking about of a different type. That's a way to say another. But there's another use of the word another, which is actually what this word alas actually is. That'd be the same scenario, but you're in Baskin Robbins and you try the ice cream and you love it. And you say, man, I love this flavor. Could I have another, right? Another scoop because why stop at one? One is so good. Why not have two? And this idea of another is more of the same. And that's what alas is when it says alas paraclete, alas paracletos. It's another advocate more of the same. So what's a paraclete? Well, this, this, this Greek word is actually quite unique. It's only used in John's writing in the New Testament. You see it in the Gospel of John and you see it in the epistles of John later in the New Testament of the Bible. It's sometimes translated into English in some different ways. So depending on what version of the Bible, what translation of the Bible you're using, you might see a different word than advocate here. Sometimes you'll see counselor, comforter, helper, helper, or as we have here in the NIV, this word advocate. And I think the word advocate is actually quite helpful in understanding paraclete. Because the, the connotation around this word is this idea is that an advocate, a paraclete, is someone who comes alongside you in your aid, but there's a, a legal kind of uh, jargon going on here. It's someone that comes alongside you to plead your case like an e a, a legal advocate. So I want you to imagine that you're in trouble with the law and you've got a defense attorney who's going to come alongside you to your aid to plead your case as you work through the system of justice. And that begins to help understand what a paraclete is. And that's why I think the NIV on advocate is actually quite helpful. So it's another of the same kind of advocate that's going to come alongside you in your defense for your help. And when Jesus promises this alas paracletos, this another advocate, what he's saying to his disciples then and to us now is that you will have more of the same. This advocate that is coming will be just like Jesus. 
more of the same, another in Jesus's place, instead of Jesus's physical presence being beside them, they will have the spiritual presence of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God, dwelling inside of them, making residence inside our interior lives. Why? Well, John 14, 16 tells us to help you. That's what the Spirit does. He's there to help because he's not just the ultimate resident. He's also the ultimate rabbi. Maybe you hear that and you think, okay, that's a a unique word too. What's this idea of a a rabbi? As we've journeyed with Jesus in the Gospel of John, we've seen over and over and over again that his disciples, and not just his closest followers, but also people that are in the crowd that often respect Jesus for what he's doing and what he's teaching, they will call him rabbi too. So what is this word rabbi? Well, it's a Hebrew word, and it's a word that's used to refer to a teacher, but it's bigger than that. It's a title of honor, and it's about relationship. When someone calls someone a rabbi, basically what they're saying is, you are the master teacher in my life, and I am the disciple that's under your tutelage. I sit under your teaching, and your teachings are the instruction that form out my understanding of the world and the way that I live my life. It's a really, really big deal and a high honor. So what you're saying when you say rabbi is not just that I'm the disciple, but you're the powerful teacher and that I'm going to be the submissive student. If you skip down in John 14, verse 26, it helps us to understand how the Spirit is the ultimate rabbi. What Jesus went on to say was this, but the advocate, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, whom the Father will send in my name, in the name of Jesus Christ, he will teach you all things. The Spirit will be your ultimate teacher. And he will remind you of everything that I have said to you You see, this is not just who the Spirit is. This is what the Spirit does. He teaches us. He instructs us. He corrects us. He guides us. He reminds us of what Jesus says. He leads us to the truth. He illuminates it. He makes sense of it. He doesn't just help us to know it and understand it, but he helps us to apply it into our lives in practical ways because our new life with him is radically different than our old life without him. He grows us. He develops us. He leads us, and he does all of this from the inside of us as the ultimate resident, serving as the ultimate Rabbi, And so you go back to the beginning of this passage in John 14, 15, and you look at the words that Jesus shares with his disciples in this upper room as he's preparing them for what is to come. And he says, if you love me, keep my commands. And you see, the commands of Christ are much more simple than we make them. The law of Christ is this. It's the law of love, to love the Lord your God, to love God, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? To love God first, people second, others second, and ourselves last. The law of Christ is love, and all of the commands around that are about living in love. And so Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. But then John 14, 16 and John 14, 26, Jesus says this, that the spirit of truth is coming. And he will be the one that teaches you how to do this, how to keep the commands of Christ. He will teach you what they are. He will remind you of them. He will instruct you in how to do that. And then he will lead you to do that. He will empower you to live this Christ-following life. You see, the ultimate resident and the ultimate rabbi isn't like Bobby Flay or Mr. Clean. He's not just going to come in and cook for you or clean for you. He's going to come in and teach you how to cook. He's going to come in and teach you how to clean, not just for your own good, but for the good of others around you as you engage in his kingdom purposes. 
But he doesn't just teach you to do it. He gives you the power and the strength and everything that you need to be enabled to carry out that very work. When you think about this, you begin to realize the Spirit of God is such a great gift to us. We think so often about what a great gift Jesus is, what a great gift his sacrifice, his life, his death, and his resurrection are to us. And the good news just keeps getting better because not only do we get Christ, not only do we get the freedom and forgiveness that comes with Christ, but we get the gift of the Spirit dwelling within us to be our teacher and our guide. What a great gift. And obviously, because of his presence, our new life with him is going to look much different than our old life without him. So my question for you is this. Is that true for you? Is that true in your experience? Are you learning? Are you growing? Is he shaping your character, your thoughts, your actions? Is he instructing you? Is he teaching you? Are you listening to the Spirit as the ultimate rabbi or teacher in your life? See, that takes intentionality, and it's also something that we grow in, we mature in, we develop in over time, but you're not going to get there without being intentional about learning to know and to understand the work of the Spirit in you. I've heard the presence of God's Holy Spirit in us described in a way that I think is pretty helpful. It's kind of like this. It's like this glove. You see it? This is a glove that I got out of our preschool area uh, that's used for cleaning and and for changing uh, diapers. When you look at this glove, you see that it's valuable, right? That it has a use, it's, it's useful, and it's good, and it has an intrinsic value. But what you see about this glove is that it is lifeless. It has no ability in and of itself in spite of the fact that it does have real value. We're like this glove, you and me, as people. We're like the glove. Without the Spirit, We have value, but we're lifeless. And the Spirit of God is like a hand. When he's placed inside of us, we come to life. When he's placed inside of us, we become effective. And as we become alive, we begin to have function and purpose. And we begin to experience those kingdom kinds of things that God wants for us to do and to accomplish and to live on mission with him. The Spirit is like that hand in us, bringing life and function to us as we become a part of what God is doing In the world, think about that. He is the life that brings the kind of instruction that leads us to the point that we're able to follow Christ in obedience. And what you see in John chapter 14, as Jesus is preparing his disciples for his imminent death and his uh, ultimate departure, is this, that the conversation for them in this moment had to be so very troubling for them. Why would they be so troubled? Because Jesus has been their rabbi for the last three years. He's been their master. He's been the one guiding and leading, instructing, informing, and shaping, and discipling them. Jesus has not just been all of those things to them, but he's been their friend. He's been their brother. He's been their confidant. He's been someone that they've developed real and true relationship with. And now he says that he's departing, and not only that he's leaving, but that he'll be dying. I mean, you think about this. John says that he's written these things so that we may believe. And these are the people that believed. They believed in Jesus' power. They believed in his claims. They believed in Jesus' rule and in his reign. And now he's leaving and he's dying. And at this point in John 14, these disciples had to be so deeply troubled. We're talking about coming alive by the Spirit. They're at a point where they're so worried that there's not going to be any life 
because they understand that Christ is about to die. And then Jesus says this in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. These are the words that Jesus speaks to his troubled disciples. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. So how does Jesus leave peace? How does Jesus give peace? You see the presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit is that gift of peace that Jesus gives his troubled disciples then and his troubled disciples now. He wants us to live unafraid, not be troubled by the things of this world. For his disciples in John 14, not to be troubled by his imminent death and his impending departure. No, because they're getting the gift of the Holy Spirit to reside in them and not just be their ultimate rabbi, but also to be this, the ultimate reassurance. They get peace because the presence of the Spirit is ultimate reassurance. What, John, what Jesus is saying in John 14 to his disciples is this. It's going to be okay. My death is not the end. My departure is not a finish. It's actually a new beginning. He's going to tell them to go and to wait for the Spirit to come. And they will wait and follow his instructions. And ultimately, when the Spirit comes, they will find that they will live for Christ. And they know at this point that Christ is alive, that death has not defeated him. And God's Spirit, the presence of God, becomes their ultimate reassurance as they move into the future, doing what God commissioned them to do, to go and to launch this movement called the church. And as they go and as they serve and as they live in the face of persecution, living out their ministry for Jesus, they will find over and over again that the Spirit is the ultimate source of assurance and reassurance. He is their source of confidence. And you can see when you begin to understand the role of the Spirit and what he does in us, that he really is this comforter, as John 14, 16 is so often translated. When I think about comforters, I think about a quilt that I have at my home. This quilt was made for me by my great-grandmother. It's not the prettiest quilt that you've ever seen, and at this point, it's actually pretty worn. But these are pretty special for everybody in my family. All the great-grandkids have them, all the grandkids have them, all the aunts and uncles, nephews and cousins. Everybody has this handmade quilt that Mamaw Riddlehoover made for us. Now, mine feels even more special to me, I think, for a couple of reasons. One, my quilt was actually my dad's first. When I was a kid, I loved his quilt more than my own, and so I adopted it. I guess you could say I kind of stole it from him, but he let me have it. And so his quilt is now my quilt. But it was getting old and worn and falling apart, and so then my grandma, Mama Riddle Hoover's daughter, took that quilt. She took the batting off of it to make it thinner for me because I'm pretty hot-natured. And then she went through, and on every line and every stitch, she sewed back over it so that it would be uh, stronger to last Longer. You just think about all the meaning surrounded around this comforter or this quilt that my mama made me. It is so very special to me. But when I really think about it, I recognize that this physical quilt outside of me has very, very limited power to bring peace into my life. But the work of the Spirit inside of me, the Spirit of Almighty God, has limitless power to be this source of reassurance and peace and confidence that projects us into life in the face of our troubles and into our future. That's the kind of comforter that the Spirit is. And so then my question becomes this, is he your source of comfort and peace? I mean, the reality is we all look to different kinds of things like that quilt. 
We look to different things to be our source of comfort and our source of peace. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. Some of them are okay and some of them are sinful. And the reality is all of them, whether good or bad, are woefully inferior to the power of the presence of the Spirit of God as our ultimate reassurance and our source of confidence and comfort. See, the Spirit of God is the peace of God that's given to us. His presence and Jesus' absence. He is the promise for here and now on earth as we live our lives in the face of troubles. But it's so much bigger than just the here and now. He is our peace and our reassurance all the way into eternity. I want you to see this in another New Testament passage, Ephesians 1. Listen to these verses quickly. Ephesians 1.13, and you also were included in Christ. So again, this is to Christ's followers. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That word salvation just speaks of the rescue that Jesus brings into our life, delivering us from ourselves and from our sin into forgiveness and into freedom. You have received the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed in Christ, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So this epistle speaks of the Holy Spirit as a seal of our salvation. The Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So not only is he a seal of our salvation, he is a guarantee that we will inherit the very promises of Christ in eternity. So what is it that the Spirit does? He marks us as Jesus' followers. He is the evidence of the reality that we have surrendered ourselves completely to Christ, making him not just Savior, but Lord, and submitting ourselves to him. As we receive that gift of grace, the gifts of grace go even greater, and we get the gift of the Holy Spirit marking us as the followers of Christ, sealing our salvation that is so freely given to us. And what we know in that is that it cannot be taken, it cannot be destroyed, it cannot break down or wear out. No, no, no. It is guaranteed, and it will be guaranteed all the way into eternity because of the work and the presence and the power of the Spirit of God in us. What greater comfort and peace and reassurance can we have than that, that Jesus' promises will come to be because of the work of the Holy Spirit? That's incredible. And you begin to see what a great gift the Spirit is, this God-sent gift of God's own personal presence in our lives, residing inside of us as the ultimate resident, the ultimate rabbi, bringing about the ultimate reassurance. That's who he is, and that's what he does. And so ultimately, this message comes down to one question, one bottom line, and that's this. If the Spirit doesn't reside in you, then you need to receive. You need to receive these gifts of grace. You need to receive the new life that Christ offers us. You need to receive the freedom and the forgiveness and the reconciliation with God. And as a result of that, you need to receive the gift of the Spirit that God so freely gives to be this resident living inside of you, instructing you, teaching you, leading you as you surrender your life more and more and more to the Lordship of Christ. So if he doesn't reside, then the answer is receive. But what if he does? What if you do belong to Jesus? What if you already are a Christ follower and you do already have the gift of the Spirit? Well, if he does reside, then the word is cooperate. If he is inside of you, then let him do the work to bring you to life, to bring about that function, to bring about that change. Cooperate with the Spirit. Grow in your relationship with him. Lean into your understanding of him. Learn him. And more than anything, learn to carefully listen to his leadership in your life as you surrender and submit yourself to the things that he's doing inside of you. Because at the end of the day, 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Do you not know? 
And I say that with a, a gentle and compassionate heart. Like, do you not know that you are a temple of Almighty God? You need to know that because if you know that and when you know that and when you lean into cooperation with his presence and his leadership, your new life with him will absolutely begin to look different than your old life without him. Let me pray. God, we thank you for the gift of the spirit and the truth of the scriptures. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to cooperate with your spirit. God, for those who have not received the gift of grace, that have not received reconciliation through the work of Christ, Lord, I pray that you would lead them to a place of faith, that they would put their trust in you and that they would find you to be completely trustworthy and not just that you can deliver them from their sin in themselves, but deliver them into all of the gifts of relationship with Christ and the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would help us to learn, to follow your Spirit's leadership, to listen for your voice. And God, to learn, to surrender and submit ourselves completely so we can experience all of the blessing of living our lives on mission with you. God, we love you, we trust you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.